I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, finding yourself in life's little moments. Hi, dear listener. So I'm sitting in a usual kind of spot where I make these podcasts, and that is overlooking the ocean, facing east on the east coast of Australia, this vast island continent, and the horizon is stretching out before me, the ocean, a kind of silvery blue, quite calm today. It's amazing how the ocean can have so many personalities. Every day is different, and today... It's just sort of lapping up on the shore, and the sand is a kind of milky yellow white, and the grass before me and under my feet, this beautiful green. It's winter here, and July is winter in the southern hemisphere, but it's unusually warm. So I'm sitting out, and you might be hearing the birds, people occasionally passing by, walking. And the title of this podcast, the subject of this podcast, is inspired by an encounter that I had a while back. And I wonder if you have this experience, dear listeners, you know that sometimes somebody will just cross your path, and the conversation that you might end up having with that person reveals something that is could be actually even life-changing, certainly life-enhancing and often uh, directive and inspirational and moving and poignant. So there are many aspects to what can transpire between human beings, and I've noticed in my life that sometimes the most extraordinary things happen. So the title of this podcast is Amazing Grace, and so it's inspired by an encounter that I had a while back and I was walking once again near the ocean. And there were two people, an older couple, who crossed my path. And we struck up a conversation. It was a place that I walked many times, surrounded by beautiful banksia trees and other sorts of native Australian foliage and flora. (laughs) And so we just said hello. And when they said hello to me, I noticed that they didn't have the typical kind of Australian accent. Now, I don't have a typical Australian accent. I'm actually quite American, (laughs) but I live here now. And so we just began to speak. And it was really interesting because the man shared with me that he had roots back in the United Kingdom in England. And he asked me, if I knew the song Amazing Grace because I'd mentioned to them that I was a pianist and a musician and he said, oh, you know, that's wonderful. Do you know that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace? And I said, well, it's actually my favorite hymn. And he said, well, I have something interesting to tell you. He said, my ancestor, I found out, you know, now people can track their ancestry and and it's quite something you can find out so much about your background that was never possible before and you can think about the course of this earth and the history of humanity on the face of these this earth and how people have moved here and there so much and often untracked you know over the course of ages so to be able to actually go back and discover oh my gosh you know I was related to this person in this place 
this far-flung place that I never thought of myself as being connected to. Well, this man said to me, he said, I found out something interesting. He said, I found out recently that my ancestor was none other than a man named William Wilberforce. And he asked me, he said, had you heard of him? And I said, no. Oh, I said, actually, no. I said, yes, I have, but I don't know much about him. And he said, do you know the story of Amazing Grace? And I said, well, I do know something about it. I know that it was written by a man named John Newton in the late 1700s, and that it came to him because he had a kind of epiphany of conscience in which he realized that his whole role at that time and employment and work and vocation, which was nothing other, none other, nothing less than being the captain of a slave ship, he realized in a moment of epiphany and transfiguration of his whole soul and being that he was contributing in no small measure to the suffering of thousands of human beings in the worst possible way. And he stopped what he was doing. And the song that we now sing as Amazing Grace came to him in that moment of epiphany and transfiguration. So, but I didn't know the ancestor of this man whom I was just chatting by chance with there and his wife on the shores of Australia decades and centuries hence. I didn't know really that man William Wilberforce but this person that I was chatting to said well he was the one who was really quite responsible for the ending of the slave trade as it was conducted by Great Britain back in the early 1800s. And John Newton who had been a slave ship captain, was somebody that Wilberforce called upon to testify, to give his account of what was going on there in the slave ship and what he knew to be the conditions. And it would turn out, as I would learn, because this man whom I was speaking to centuries later, two centuries later, thousands of miles away from where this all happened, he said to me, well, you should watch the movie Amazing Grace. And I'll post the link to that in the description section here. He said, you should watch that because it's really actually the story of William Wilberforce and how he became tirelessly dedicated to changing the laws, the legislation, the practices, the cultural acceptance, the political sanctioning of this atrocity. And it would take him something like 29 or 30 years to do it, but... He kept at it, Wilberforce did there, in the Parliament in the early 1800s. So it's worth watching that movie. It's very educational, let's put it that way. So I learned all this speaking with this man who was a descendant of this extraordinary person who really changed the course of history in a very significant way. And at the same time that I say that, I also say, have we changed the course of history? Are we poised here to change the course of history? What does it mean to be changed in our consciousness the way John Newton was? What does it mean to be transfigured beyond everything that we thought and did before as John Newton was? What is it to sing Amazing Grace? What is it to let those words in? What is it to imagine ourselves now at this crux point in history, really? I believe we are, dear friends. I believe we are, as I sort of look out here over the ocean and the 
Clouds are billowing before me, white and dark gray underneath, and the blue sky opening out. What is it now to transfigure ourselves, to become transfigured, to become awakened in the way that John Newton was? Because I think it has a lot to do with grace. You know, when he shifted in his whole life, the song that came to him, and it came to him in a song, amazingly, you know, it came to him in a song. He was compelled to sing out what happened to him, what was emerging in his own being. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So that point of transfiguration, that point of grace, is like a droplet that hangs there, suddenly luminous at the edge of a leaf. It's like the rain. It's like the sun suddenly shining through the clouds. It's like the blue sky breaking. It's like running into somebody there on the street and them looking at you and you smiling and they're smiling and the smile is there between you. Just in that moment of recognition, here's another human being. These are the moments of transfiguration, dear listeners. These are the moments that I find are the most beautiful moments of awe and innocence and delight and spontaneous recognition of the sanctity and unity of all things. So I almost sort of think of ourselves now, you know, John Newton, he was captain of a slave ship. He transported human beings in the worst possible conditions, many of them never surviving that journey from western coast of Africa to the United States or the West Indies. And, you know, I sort of feel like there's something about the reckoning of that. What if we look at our lives, you know? What if we really reckon with, as we're becoming aware of, because we're so now globally interconnected, what happens to people on this face of this planet? We are, in fact, all captains or captors or captives in one way or another we often are captives or captors implicitly explicitly you know there's so much that goes on now that we become aware of on this planet you know we are in a collective situation (laughs) I'll always remember interviewing when I was a journalist I was interviewing the Apollo astronaut Edgar Mitchell he's no longer alive and he was one of the men who walked on the moon and he was actually the kind of manned the um, the lunar module that came down and landed there. And I asked him because, of course, one would always want to know what is it like to walk on the moon. You would kind of that would be the first question. I think probably most people would ask, "What was it like being up there?" And he said, "Well, it wasn't so much really what it was like to be on the moon. What it was like was to come back and suddenly see the Earth from space." and see this single floating blue marble alone, an oasis of life, floating in this vast expanse of blackness, of darkness, of velvety black. And he said, at that point, he said, I had an epiphany, he told me. He said, I suddenly realized that that was the only home we've got 
and it's all of our home. All of us are there, and everyone that I love, he told me, everyone is there that I know and love. And he said, I just feel like I want to shake politicians by the scruff of the neck and say, look, aren't our borders and our efforts to control and divide and all of these things that have gone on forever in the course of human history, the power plays and the suffering that's resulted in all of that. He said, I just feel like I want to shout as loud as I can and say, look, look at where we live. Look at the beauty of it. And when that image of Earth from space came back to Earth, in that moment, you know, it was then circulated. In that moment in history, it was circulated around the globe. And for a single point in time, there was a kind of unification of consciousness on this planet. Because for the first time, people saw our home in a way that we had never, as humanity, perceived before, had the opportunity to perceive ourselves like that. So... I think to this day it is still the most published image in the history of, of humankind, the Earth from space, and rightfully so. So I guess that just brings me back to John Newton and what happened to him in that moment. Gosh, you know, I guess in my own imagination I sort of wonder what that moment was like, that moment of epiphany where he realized he could no longer do what he was doing. And that grace came upon him like some wash of cool air, some beautiful spring breeze, a light shining through the clouds, piercing and radiating and enveloping him and his life never being the same again. And that beautiful song coming out of it. So, you know, I was just walking here to the ocean to where I'm sitting and making this podcast, and I ran into a neighbor. He's in his 80s, probably, and he was off to a classical music concert, and we stopped and chatted for a minute. So I just say to you, dear listener, you know, these little chats can sometimes mean a lot. They're like links between us, links that form spontaneously between us, and sometimes those links seem sort of inconsequential. Sometimes they seem quite consequential. But my experience has been that they often hold something. They often contain something that is quite significant that I wouldn't have expected. I could never have expected running into the descendant of William Wilberforce, who enlightened me about that part of history, about this man, about then John Newton, about the song that I love and play so often amazing grace and leading to all these reflections that I'm sharing with you now but just a few moments you know just a, a little while back just now I was running into a, I ran into my neighbor and he was off to this beautiful classical music concert and he said yes you know they're going to be playing something by Schubert and I always remember my mom saying to me my mom's incredible pianist she's still with me 
saying, yeah, Schubert, you know, I think he was really an underrated composer. He wasn't as well-known as Beethoven and Brahms and Bach and Chopin, but he cast out some of the most glorious melodies. So this man was off to a music concert, and he said, you know, there are times, he said to me, we're just standing there on the driveway. He said, when you hear something and a tear comes to your eye, and you just, it brings you to tears. If something happens, you hear that music and a, it brings you to tears. So, dear friends, that's a moment of grace. Beethoven said, he said, anyone who understands my music will never again know unhappiness. That's how powerful it is. And I believe, really, that that is our saving grace. It's those moments, in whatever form they take between us, through the music that comes out of us, through what it is that emanates from our souls. We're wrought like Joni Mitchell, the great singer-songwriter. We're stardust. We're golden. And we got to get ourselves back to the garden. And that, dear friends, is what's been on my mind. So with that, here's my version of Amazing Grace. With warmest wishes to you all, take good care. Bye for now. Bye. How precious.
precious was that hour hour I first believed through many dangers toils and snares we have already come was grace that brought me here to this place
です。